Um, it's hard uh, to think of a more hope-filled, empowering, strengthening, comforting, life-altering, everyday-changing realization than the one when we say, I belong. That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're focusing on this year, to, to grasp our belongingness to God. Individually, collectively, to belong to Jesus is to belong to his church. To belong to Jesus is to belong to his mission. To belong. In our current set of Sunday morning conversations, which we've called fake people, we're looking at the story, a number of stories, of God's people in Old Testament times. We're finding the good, the bad, and the ugly of faith responses, of belonging to God. And today we're going to, uh, we've, called this um, uh, particular sermon uh, Disobedience Faith. I'm not quite sure if it's, if it's bad or ugly. It's probably a mixture of both. Disobedient faith. I thought about calling it rebellious faith or defiant faith or uh, corrupted faith, but ended up with disobedient faith. We're going to look at a passage in Numbers chapter 20. This chapter in the Bible is a particularly sad chapter. In Numbers 20, we find the death of Miriam. Miriam was Moses' sister. And there's no epitaph. There's no celebration of her life. There's no memoriam that goes on. It's just announced that she died. This is the first, or the, uh, the premier female among the, the people of God. And it just says that she died. Then there's this story we're going to take a look at where, where Moses exhibits this disobedient faith. The leader that God had chosen. And then that's followed up by a story of where the people had asked the kingdom of Edom to give them passage. Edom was this kingdom that came out of Esau. And Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. And so this is family. And they thought that they could go to family and say, can we just have passage? We don't want to settle here. And Edom shut them down in harsh terms. And then the chapter ends with the death of Aaron. It's a sad chapter. For a little bit of background to our story, it might be helpful to remember the, the, the journey that the people of God are on. I have um, provided a, a map, and this map will show you the limitations of my PowerPoint skills. All right, so we know that in this map, we've got uh, Egypt over here. We have the Red Sea uh, down in this area. We find that the story of where God led the people um, out across the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea. That next part of the journey from that spot on down to Mount Sinai. And from the Mount Sinai up to this place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea. It's at the southern end of the promised land. Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh is an interesting place. Because there are two stories of note, two super sad stories of note that take place in Kadesh. The first uh, is that of the spies returning from their trip. You see, in Kadesh, as they were at the, at the southern end of the promised land, when they first arrived there, this original people of the Exodus, the people that had gone and journeyed across the Red Sea and down to Mount Sinai, and they made their way up to Kadesh, 
And God said, send 12 spies, one from each tribe. And they went up and they looked at the promised land. And they saw that indeed it was rich and mighty and, and wonderfully full of food and fruit. And the soil was good. And, and so the spies came back and two of them, Joshua and Caleb, gave an incredible report. They did acknowledge there are people there, but they said, our God is bigger. The other 10 spies had a different story to tell. They had a story of intimidation. We will be overrun if we try to go up there. We will be defeated. In fact, they reached the point where they said, we want a new leader. We want to go to a different place. They rejected God and they rejected Moses. So God, in response, was once again ready to start over. Ready to start over just to wipe the whole lot of them out and say, Moses, let's begin again. And we find in the text, in this passage of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 19, we find here's Moses before God. And this is what Moses says to God. He says, please, pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Moses, on behalf of these original people of the Exodus, the people who had left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, made it to Mount Sinai, had that whole story of the golden calf, and now here they're at Kadesh, and once again, they sinned against God, they tested God, and Moses intercedes on their behalf. God does pardon them, but there is a punishment. There's a consequence to their choice. And God says, none of you who were living in Egypt, who made the trek to Kadesh so far, will enter the kingdom, the land that I'm going to give you. Only your children and grandchildren will enter, but you will not. It meant 40 years in the wilderness until that generation died off. And so now, we're back at Kadesh. There's not a whole lot of description of what took place in those 40 years. We're back at Kadesh, and there's another story taking place. Only this time, it's the children and the grandchildren of the people who originally left Egypt. Just to give you context for the geography, um, let me just show you this next thing here. This is where the ship is stuck currently, all right? So right, right there. All right, let's go ahead and read our text. Our text is Numbers um, chapter 20, verses 2 uh, through 13. Hear the word of God. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had perished with our brothers, when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff 
and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God bless our time together. If you find yourself asking, is God too harsh? You wouldn't be the first. If you're feeling like, God, really, this is Moses. Moses didn't even want the job. Don't you remember? Moses asked if you would send somebody else, but he ended up going. And this is Moses who served you and pleaded before you on behalf of the people. God, can't you cut Moses a break. Well, in our time together, I'd like us to see what we can learn about God, what we can learn about Moses, and maybe what we can also learn about ourselves. Let's begin with Moses. We wonder about Moses. The passage doesn't give us a lot of detail about his motivations. We can wonder, we can wonder, is Moses locked in the past? You see, Moses has been here before. Figuratively and literally. He's been here before. This is, uh, there was a time early on in the Exodus where that original people said, we don't have anything to drink. And they tested God. And he's been to Kadesh before. and He's seen the behavior of that original people. We wonder, is he worn out? Is he callous? Is he hardened? Or does he simply have grumpy old man complex? Do you know there really is such a thing as grumpy old man complex? It's also referred to as irritable male syndrome. It seems, and by the way, no elbows at home or here, okay? It, it seems that uh, when men reach a certain age, there's a, a, a drop in testosterone. And it affects their, 
their, uh, for a number of men, it can affect their, uh, their, the way that they uh, handle emotions and, and their feelings. And, and then you combine that with a sense of isolation and, and possibly uh, uh, body aches and that are going on and um, maybe some uh, unmet realization or expectations. And uh, that all combines ends up in this irritable male uh, syndrome. Maybe that's what's going on with Moses. We don't know. But what we do know are the choices he made. And the first one is this. Moses does not take the side of the people. Moses does not take the side of the people that God has put in his care. You see, God said, speak to the rock. Moses spoke to the people. Moses said to the people, hear now, you rebels. God said, speak to the rock. Moses lashed out at the people. Frustrated, fed up, angry, burned out, blaming. Regardless, he goes all Nicholas Cage all over them. And he doesn't let go of it either. He seems to hold on to this. In fact, if we uh, track down, we'll do this real quickly. There are this, these set of verses in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses gives commentary on what takes place at Meribah. Listen to how Moses describes it in Deuteronomy 137. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account. Deuteronomy 3.26. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. Deuteronomy 4.21. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you and swore that I should not cross the Jordan. Moses, he holds on to this because of you people that I'm in this situation. We've talked about it before. There's this human tendency to treat others as a caricature of who they really are. We like to find fault in other people. We find whatever it is, and like a, a caricature uh, painter or drawer, um, uh, uh, one of those people that puts together those little things you can take home. You pay them way too much money and they take this picture. They, if you have big ears, they draw huge ears. If you have big eyebrows, they draw big eyebrows. Here, Moses only sees them through this pushback. And maybe even through the pushback that he had experienced from their parents. Here now, you rebels. The second thing we see is that Moses doesn't trust God. Moses doesn't believe in God. God said, tell the rock. Tell the rock. Instead, Moses strikes the rock twice. You know that the, in the time back in Exodus 17, early on in the Exodus, when the people were complaining we don't have water, God said, my presence will go before you, Moses. My presence will be in front of the rock. And there seems to be this carrying on of this idea that, that, the, that the rock, as the water comes from the rock, that God's presence is there. If you remember in the story, Moses and Aaron go before the tent of meeting. They bow down. They get down on their faces. And they anticipate seeing God's presence or experiencing God's presence there. God is saying, my presence is before the rock. In fact, in Numbers 20, verse 12, we find the words, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people, 
Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Listen, I'm there, and you did not trust that I was there. You did not trust my words. Paul helps us out a little bit and gives us some commentary on this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, listen to how Paul describes the situation. It's only a couple of verses, so it doesn't go very deep, but listen to how he describes it. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that your fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ. God's presence. There before the rock. In Moses, you did not respect that. You did not believe. If we want to understand God's commentary on the situation, in Deuteronomy 32, 51, we find the words, Because you broke faith, Moses, with me in the midst of the people of Israel, at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. Moses, this was your choice. So how might we avoid becoming like Moses? This leader who had led, and we had already read that he spoke on behalf of the people and even interceded before them, and yet he had journeyed to the place where he no longer took that position. How do we avoid becoming like that? Hold on to that question. Let's look at God. So God here in this text, we know that in the storyline of, God, of God's people, in the storyline of the Exodus, God goes from condemning to providing. God goes from showing his might, the power of his hand, to speaking his might, the power of his word. We see this... this uh, Exodus 17 and Numbers 13, that, that the word there is that the people tested God. In this situation, that word does not appear. The people were quarreling, but they weren't testing God. In Numbers 20, what we find God doing is behaving in a new way. In fact, we can say in Numbers 20, God chooses to act in new ways, in new times, with the new people to fulfill his old covenant. His old covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will make you into a great nation. In fact, the whole world will be blessed through you. I'm going to keep that. But at Kadesh, here 40 years after the time that the people rejected God, God has a new people. And he's operating in new ways. It's a new day for them. And there's going to come a time when the prophets will be in the land and the people will be spread out in their towns and they need to know the power of God's word and not just the power of God's hand. Deborah Miller and her commentary on this through the Jewish Theological Seminary states that God desires his children to respond to his message, not just his might. So the question for us is, how might we remain open to God's new ways? How might we remain open to God's new ways? To what God might be doing in our presence 
Do you get the two questions together? How might we avoid, how might we avoid becoming like Moses? Where we just shut down, we make it, we, we elevate our understanding and our perspective above God's perspective. Where we don't respect his holiness, where we don't trust in God. How might we avoid that? And how might we remain open to God's new ways? To avoid something is to move away from it. To remain open is to, to have the possibility of moving towards something. How do we do these two things? It turns out that the answer is one and the same. And I'm going to warn you, it's a churchy answer. It's a churchy answer. The answer is this. Nurture an abiding faith in God. You know, it's interesting because we, when we talk about disobedient faith, we might think, you know what, the, the answer to disobedient faith is to have obedient faith. But it turns out it's not just obedient faith, it's an abiding faith. An abiding faith. There's a passage I'm sure you're aware of that, that uh, is from Ephesians chapter, four, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Paul gets this. Paul wants this for his people. He doesn't just want them to be obedient he wants them to be abiding in Jesus. Listen to what he prays for. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from, the, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How do we avoid becoming like, like Moses in, in this callousness, in this shut-offness, in this lack of trust in God's presence? And how do we remain open? We abide, we connect. Let me put it in practical terms. One of the things I think we've all seen is how easy it is for followers of God to make the means of faith the ends of faith. We make the means of faith the ends of faith. We make it all about the means, and we argue, and we divide, and we struggle, and we have our preferences, and we make the means of faith the ends of faith. You know, here at this church, we answer the question, what do we do? What does the church do? What do we do? Our answer is this. We reveal the kingdom of God through worship, teaching, or discipleship, fellowship, and mission. The problem is sometimes we get that mixed up and we, we don't focus on the revealing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, by the way, is what is true about heaven is meant to be lived out in this world. So God's love dominating, God's justice, and God's righteousness. And we reveal that in this world. We happen to do that through the means of worship, teaching, discipleship, fellowship, and mission. But when worship, teaching, fellowship, and mission become our ends, we get it messed up. When worship is our end, we seem to become self-focused and divisive. When teaching is our end, we seem to become prideful and judgmental. When fellowship is our end, we seem to become inward-focused and cliquish. When mission is our focus or our end, we seem to become works righteous and feeling driven. 
But when these things remain the means, we're exposed to the greater end. We see God bearing fruit in our lives. Listen to this is from John, in, again, uh, John 15, 5. It says, Jesus goes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that is the person that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Christ. We worship so we can abide. We worship because we abide. We, we, we learn and disciple so we can, we can grow in our abiding. We, we worship, we, we abide so therefore we can uh, experience teaching and discipleship. The same is true with fellowship and mission. If only Moses could have abided in God that day in Kadesh, if only Moses could have abided in God. By the way, abiding is one of those things you just can't do on a particular day. Like, like, I think next Thursday I might abide. Or, you know, the next time I run into a problem, I'll abide then. Abiding is that thing that just every day, so we use the means to that very end. Numbers 20 is a sad chapter. I've often wondered what will be the epitaph on this chapter in church history. Over the course of my career, some of the things that have plagued the church, the church in our country, have been things like consumerism and racism and nationalism and theological liberalism and the misuse of privilege and the misuse of power. What if God would use us, would use you, as one who belongs to Jesus Christ, to be the voice of Caleb today, to be the voice of Joshua? What if God intends that this would be a day in Kadesh where a new generation goes into the promised land, that we would remain open to the new things that God does at new times with new people? just give quick practical steps what if we were to engage our engagement what, what, what if we were to examine the engagement with our means of faith to relook at our worship our discipleship our fellowship and our mission which one of these have become ends for us things that we become grumpy over or irritated over whenever we find that they have become an end for us where we no longer represent the holiness of God there or, or respect that there's a God who is present in those moments. Let's repent. Let's remember that our God has a history of doing new things at new times with new people. To fulfill both his old covenant through Jesus Christ and now his new covenant in Jesus Christ. And then let's re-engage in order to abide. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are the God who moved among your people long ago. And you're the God who moves in this world today. May you find in us a willingness to abide in you. That God, we would not align ourselves with that day, that, that choice of Moses on that day 
where he distrusted you. He did not recognize your holiness in front of the people. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. So on this Palm Sunday, we do say, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's in the name of our Lord we pray these things. Amen.